find the answers to questions you may or may not have asked yourself here at Kaleidoscience, Conversations on Cognitive Science, hosted by Elisa Palmer and Sönke Löw. Until recently, I couldn't often remember my dreams. I knew that I was dreaming something, but I couldn't really recall any details or events of them. However, when I started to write down every bit of my dreams I could um, remember, I also started to remember more and more and noticed that I often have quite weird and confusing dreams, which are nonetheless somehow related to the events that have happened the day before or the days before. And while today's guest is an expert on dreams, emotions and dreams and also nightmares, we are today talking to Katharina Lüth. She's currently doing her PhD uh, at the Institute of Cognitive Science and is also working as a scientific assistant in the lab of Gordon Pieper, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. And now we want to continue with our welcome game, where I start a sentence and you spontaneously continue it. And the first sentence would be, as a kid, I always wanted to be. Uh, hi, I'm at the beginning. And the first one, as a kid, I always wanted to be a florist. That's interesting. Were you just because you liked flowers that much or was it... Yes, oh, where did it come from? I liked um, wandering through my garden and putting flowers together with a in a bouquet and then giving them to my parents. <laughs> <That's so sweet>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the next question is, or the next sentence is, if I was an emoji, I would be. If I was an emoji, I think I would be the the smiling one upside down. Who <laughs> <laughs> had that too? I think we already had that. I think we did. We really. Oh, I mean, Charlie said, like no, a cat that would that. be upside down, right? True, but didn't you also say... I said I would be slight smile and you asked if the one upside down True. or the creepy one. I like the upside down one too, but I always think the non-upside down one is really creepy. Mm -hmm. It looks like as if it would like to murder you every second. Which one? The smiling one? Yeah, the just smiling with the eyes open and this really slight smile, which is like... <laughs> really I didn't think of that before. <laughs> the third sentence is my favorite thing to do on a day off is. Uh, my favorite thing on a day off is going to the Boulder gym and afterwards into the sauna. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a fun day. Uh, right now, I'm most fascinated by. Mm, I'm currently most fascinated by um, podcasts about. Um, Nonviolent communication within families. Within families. I think in nonviolent communication, you communicate in a way where you kind of point out what has happened and what it triggered as an emotion in you and then kind of try to communicate why that was difficult, right? Yes, and you communicate more about what, what you feel and not about uh, assuming that the other person did something wrong. Mm -hmm. Sounds like a good approach, especially when it's an emotionally loaded situation. And also with yourself, you can communicate violence-free and yeah. take care of your needs. Yeah. The final sentence is, I know it's time to call it a day when. I know it's time to call it a day when my eyes start um, flickering or um, yeah, moving in a <laughs> weird way. Yeah, I think that's like very... Yeah. Typical for like scientists, they always work like until they fall asleep basically yes. at the desk. Looking on yeah. the screen and then you notice you cannot really focus anymore. Yeah, and you read a sentence ten times and that's like 
is that even English or is it German or is it any other language? I don't even know. And where was I the last five minutes? Yeah. <laughs> okay, that was it for our welcome game. And uh, we also now want to talk a little bit about your, your background. Uh, you said you're doing your PhD right now at our institute. But um, how did you did you get here? Did you do also like the bachelor's or master's program or how did you find the institute and how did you end up here? Mm -hmm. um, both of them. I did the bachelor in cognitive science here and the master in cognitive science. Um, and then afterwards, I wanted to continue with my topic, which is sleep and dreams. Um, and for that, actually, the working group here is not very big, but I wanted to keep the flag high and start to do teaching in sleep and dreams at the Institute of Cognitive Science. Were you always mostly fascinated by those, I would say, psychological neuroscience topics or did that change since you've been in Osnabrück or at the Institute for quite some time and had the time to explore different topics, I guess? Mm -hmm. um, I was more, I was always more the um, the linguistic psychology philosophy interested person and not so much the um, maths and programming um, and AI person. But from the, in the masters, I liked very much the, the ethical perspective on, on AI um, but more the philosoph um, philosophical one. Um, and I ended up in Gordon Pieper's lab in the neuroinformatics. I mean, dreams and sleep are actually more philosophy and psychology than neuroinformatics. But um, the point where it connects is that um, we also try some technical devices to measure sleep. And there's this one uh, take-home EEG mask, which uh, invented by Christopher Appel and Johannes Leugering, the Traumschreiber or Dream Machine, And with that, I also wanted to do experiments, and that's um, how I connected the sleep research to the neuroinformatics group. Yeah, I think possible poss possibilities to do dream and sleep research are also going to come up in our interview today. So what are you most focusing on right now? And what are you, like, if you would try to put it in as simple language as you could, for example, when you're talking to a child, maybe 10, 12 years old, How would you explain what you're currently trying to, what you're currently researching? Mm -hmm. I'm researching how we can ease in the access to um, to get help for nightmares. So I want to have easy methods that um, people can learn to deal with their nightmares. So I want to communicate nightmare treatment um, because the big problem is that people who have a nightmare disorder don't look for help. And I want to change that. Why don't they look for help? Is there a reason? or? Because if you have a um, broken arm or something, you immediately think of, okay, that's the point where I should go to a doctor. But if you have um, psychological problems, you might also see, okay, I should go to a therapist. But if you have nightmares, most people think that that's something that they have to deal with um, on their own. And they don't know that there are methods to get rid of nightmares. Uh, before we dive deeper into nightmares, maybe we should talk about dreams in general. And um, I think, I'm not sure if there are any people who have never dreamed, but I think there are people who say that they don't recall their dreams. Is there maybe a way of describing dreams that you have encountered that uh, maybe explains it to someone who, who has maybe never dreamt or is not sure if they have dreamt? Is there like something that is very characteristic for dreams that we can... Um, that we can mention that gives other people like an imagination of what the dream actually is? 
You mean how a dream feels like? And explain that to a person who doesn't recall yeah. their dreams. Um, they are so different, but um, and they first feel like everyday situations because the point is that you don't notice that it's a dream. You know, you think you are in. You just ask the question: Is this a dream or not? So you just have a perception um, of a story as if you would maybe as if you would watch a movie, but you are in the movie, so you're in a play. Um, and then after some at some point you notice when you wake up that the, what just happened was just a dream. But when you don't have the concept of how it feels like, then you have the real feeling of just perception. And it's more perception than imagination, what happens to you in a dream. Because you see it, you feel it, you have the same brain areas active as, as you would when you perceive something in real life. Yeah, that's very interesting. I, I never thought of it that way because I always like dreams. I always consider them like, some kind of creative work and then you always have like this imaginary part of it but yeah if you think about it it's really like as if it's happening to you in in your wake life yeah that's true um maybe connected to that are there any theories how dreams evolve so are they just random firing of the brain or is it yeah what are dreams because we are we are sleeping but still experience and mm -hmm. uh, live in a way through Yeah, situations. So, and memories. So dream is not quite reality, but it's also not really made up, I guess. Yes. So it's not. Um, earlier, it was thought that it was just bra uh, random brain activity um, from the brainstem, just any um, signal, and then your prefrontal cortex making sense of it, so that you have a story to to live through because of the visual input. But it's not. That's not. Um, how it's perceived now anymore. Um, the idea is that you, um, during sleep, you revive your memories from the day. Um, and then these memories from the day are sorted into, okay, what do I need to transfer from short-term memory to long-term memory? What can I get rid of? Um, what do I, and with I, I mean like the brain, <laughs> What do I need? What do I need to resort? Maybe what do I need um, to store? What do I need to delete? Um, and then it's not just one part of the brain that is active and uh, produces the dream, but it's more a whole network in the brain. So, for example, the hippocampus is active because um, the memories are stored there and um, reactivates memories from the day. And then the amygdala and the whole limbic system is active um, dealing with emotions that you have that can add it, be added to the memory and also that has, has been there during the day. And then um, the prefrontal cortex is also um, active, telling you, okay, maybe this is this memory that you are, or the vision that you're having right now is maybe too stressful. And then it, the prefrontal cortex down-regulates the amygdala in order to not have a um, nightmare. Yeah. And then also the visual areas are active, the motor areas are active so that you perceive an action you already talked about or you mentioned a lot of brain areas and um, I'm thinking like dreams are very typically human thing but I'm wondering right now if you know if there's any scientific consensus if other animals also experience sleep and if they have like the same brain regions or if there is maybe a difference in how they dream um, yeah, since you cannot ask them whether they had a dream report or not, because in human research, you always have to ask, did you, did you dream? What was the last thing going on your mind when you wake a person up? 
in a sleep lab you cannot really do that with animals but you can see from their eye movement behavior and from their body behavior um, maybe you know these youtube videos where a dog lays on the ground and then starts um, muscle twitches and then running away and then suddenly running against the wall um, that that started from REM sleep so in REM sleep is the phase um, called rapid eye movement sleep um, where you move your eyes under your closed eyelids fast um, and wild um, that's the phase where you dream most and in animal research you have also we can show that you have REM sleep but we and we see that they have these weird eye movements and they have some muscle twitches and we cannot 100% be sure but maybe <laughs> almost I think I've also once read about a study where they had mice which went or ran through a maze um, and then they kind of measured the brain activity during wake time and also during sleep time and kind of found that the brain activity um, is similar and kind of argued that also in dreams they form mem or in sleep they f have dreams and form memory is that also connected to that idea or is it because as you said it's really hard to ask mm -hmm. an animal Like, do you dream? Because yeah. they can't answer. Um. But you, but we, but it's already possible to find out that, um, for example, mice, or maybe it was rats in one study I'm thinking of, um, that they do memory consolidation in mm. in sleep because the same cells um, are active that were active during the day when they go through a maze and have to do some task in a maze where they have to find food and then go from A to B and find food again. Um, And in animals, you can put the electrodes into the brain and do single cell recording, which you cannot really do with humans or not um, not on a regular basis. Um, and then they, the study I'm thinking about, they found out that the that these place cell in the hippocampi of the rats or mice uh, replayed the way through this maze that the mouse or rat had taken during the day and also in a different order to explore new ways through the maze. Yeah. Interesting. But it's unsure whether this is related to dreams or not. Mm -hmm. It's just related to sleep-related memory consolidation. But we'll never find out what this maze or what this um, mouse or a rat dreamed through, through this um, episode. So what we've just heard is that dreams have something to do with emotion regulation, with sorting experiences from the day, with memories. Is there any other important component which we know of during sleep? No, I think you had the most already. I mean, there's different functions about about why we dream. And um, we know that there is memory consolidation and emotion regulation, creativity also. I mean, there's a lot of Examples um, like finding the structure of the benzoyl molecule in during sleep in a dream, but also um, there are free associ associations which then come to be creative outcomes. Um, one theory that is not sure and we cannot really prove it, um, but one idea that is um, that's written in many theories is that in dreams we simulate the real world not only deal with the past, but maybe also try to deal with the future in, in simulating for situations, for example, social conflicts or threats. Um, so because people dream a lot about threats. And one theory is saying that you have so many threats in dreams because you want to practice for the future in case there is a threat. 
So the typical example is you are running away from a tiger. And in here in Osnabrück, there are no tigers. Um, so if you would never dream of running away from a tiger and then the next time there is a tiger, um, you know what to do because you have practiced your motor sequences during the dream. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Um, and also, like, is there some um, some inference to the human that can be made? Because you said, like, um, that it dreams maybe uh, concerned with the past and the future. But then I'm thinking about, like, people who really try hard to be, to just live in the present, but they still experience dreams. Is that, like, on a deeper level, like, a human thing? Or is can we actively influence like the way our dreams work is there like how's the relation to to our behavior and our emotions on the daily level mm -hmm. um, so dreams are very much related to to daily life and the um the theory behind that is, it's not a, even a theory but more a um I don't know, just a term. It's called hypothesis, but I I wouldn't call it hypothesis because it, that sounds like it's only an idea, but it's certainly true that you have continuity. So I'm talking about the continuity hypothesis, but um, so there's a huge overlap and continuity between your waking life and your dreaming life um, just because um, you dream about what has been content of your waking life, but also content of your thoughts. So what is important to you currently um, you dream about it and you dream about what um, what you did, but also what was concerning you. What what problems did you think about maybe in the past few days? And also the continuity is um, to the other direction. If you, if you had a nice dream, then you wake up relaxed. And if you had a nightmare, you wake up in a bad mood. And sometimes that takes over to the next day and then your mood is not so good. I think that kind of brings us to one of the other topics we really wanted to talk about which is emotions and dreams and how they influence one another so is it rather that emotions influence our dreams or more that dreams influence emotions or is it really hard to tell um, I think it's both so if you suffer from nightmares and if you have more negative emotions in dreams that's that can aggravate your your daytime mood um, but I would say the other direction is more more clear that you that your dreams show what is on your mind in your waking life, that your emotions um, get um, in dreams, your emotions get like exaggerated. If you have a slightly um, stressful day and um, in dreams, it might be a catastrophized version of that problem, like your dreams over dramatize what has been there as negative emotions during the day. I'm just recalling some of the recent dreams I can remember. And I was just like, yes, my emotions there were much stronger than in real life. And also when I woke up, I was like, that's actually such a small issue. And in my dream, it was such a big issue. And I was in one dream I had recently really angry. And when I woke up, I was like, that's actually not such a big deal. So mm -hmm. um, is it like there a reason or do we know why dreams have stronger emotions? Um, we don't really know why, um, but I think you can make use of it and learn from from your dream what was what was the problem, what was going on in your mind, and then decide for yourself, like you just said, there was a small problem and maybe it was already solved and you don't have to get active 
it's solving a conflict or something. Um, but sometimes dreams tell you if you dream several times in a row from a certain conflict with a friend, maybe, then maybe this might uh, tell you or you can learn from it. Okay, I should in real life uh, tackle this conflict. So it kind of reveals what we might not want to see about in our inner world when we are consciously awake. Mm -hmm. Or exaggerates it or tells you more directly, okay, this is really bugging me. I need to um, solve this. Um, and from that, you already hinted at the fact that uh, we can maybe do something about nightmares. Um, then like how active or how big is the influence that we can actually have on the content of a dream because right now it sounds like it's a very passive thing that just happens to us but um it seems like we have some power of of influencing what what happens right mm -hmm. yes we have um we can we can change the the nightmare frequency by doing um like a task that i can explain in a minute, but you can also get active and influence your dreams if you want to learn lucid dreaming, for example, which is when you know that you are in a dream. Um, and at that point, um, dreams then start not being only coming to you and being you being the passive observer, but then you can also uh, change the dream content. Um, but having lucid dreams is not something that everybody um, has already learned or has um, the skill by nature. Some people have to learn it. Others have it right away. Can everyone learn lucid dreaming, or because, like, I've heard the term, I've never really gotten into it. But to me, it sounds so bizarre because I know that I'm not a lucid dreamer by nature, and I can't imagine that I can learn it. So, it's, like, what is the data on if pe everyone can mm -hmm. learn lucid dreaming? Uh, it's not clear whether everybody can learn, but it's um, most people can learn it, or. So the highest um, induction rates in study is, is uh, 50%. So we did a study at the Osnabrück um, sleep lab with the student initiative Sleep and Dreams. And there we had 20 participants and 10 of them managed to have a lucid dream within two nights. Okay. So wow. I think um, that's only two nights. And I think if, these, if the other 10 that didn't manage in two nights, if they practice for a few weeks, then they will also manage but not all of them. So there are people who try for one day and then they have a lucid dream and others will practice for months and uh, don't get lucid. Mm -hmm. And just to put it into simple terms, lucid dreaming means that you are kind of aware that you are dreaming and can also actively influence the content of your dream, right? Exactly. Or yeah, one is enough, actually. When you know that you are dreaming or you have the feeling of, okay, now I know what is around me is a dream and I'm actually in my bed, um, that's enough for the for saying that's a lucid dream, and the second part is only is more like more professional okay. um, that you can also actively change the content. That's like the second step. But for the definition of a lucid dream, it's enough to say I know that I'm dreaming. Okay, I always thought that lucid dreaming always also means to uh, be able to influence your dream, but it's more like the cherry on top. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, you said like they try to learn it so there are methods to do that that's not only like oh i want to lose a dream tonight and then i do nothing else there are steps i can take to achieve that do you maybe mm -hmm. want to tell us uh, how, how we can mm -hmm. try that uh, at home yes one one thing you have to do is reality testing so several times during the day you have to ask yourself 
is this a dream or not? And to do this reality check, you can, for example, look at your hands. And if they look normal, then you answer, okay, I'm, I'm awake. And um, because if you do this a lot of time during the day, then at some point you'll automatically also do this in your dream because of the continuity because b between sleep and dream. And then if you do this in a dream, your hands will start weird. Maybe there's an 11th finger or the, your hands will be green. Um, or what you can also try is breathing through your closed nose. So you hold your nose with your fingers and try to breathe, which doesn't work in daily life or in waking life, but will eventually work in dreams. Um, so this reality testing is one thing. And then your attention already gets more into dreams. And then also your dreaming or your sleeping brain is also having more attention. And then your probability is higher. And one method that you can um, nicely do to to have a higher probability of a lucid dream is um, set an alarm clock to five or six in the morning, stay awake for uh, 30 minutes or one hour and um, think a lot about your last dream, do something written um, or tell it to somebody or um, yes, think about a lot about your last dream and then go back to sleep and you say to yourself, the next time I'm dreaming, I will notice that I'm dreaming. So an auto-suggestion. And then in the morning hours, like from six to nine, depending on how, how long you can sleep, um, you have more REM sleep than in the first half of the night. And the auto-suggestion is then only one hour ago if you say it to yourself at five in the morning, not eight hours ago if you say it to yourself at 11. And then you use the morning hours where you have a lot more REM sleep to have a higher probability. Yeah, and as we said in the beginning, REM sleep is the phase where you have most dreams. Exactly. You also dream in the other sleep stages, in deep sleep and in light sleep, but more emotional and more coherent and more intensive in REM sleep. You talked earlier about like the task we can do to reduce nightmares. Is that the same thing? Is like lucid dreaming one of the ways to reduce nightmares or are there also other methods to, mm -hmm. to uh, fight like the nightmares? Yeah, lucid dreaming is one of the of the ideas. And um, if you can lucid dream, then it's a good way. But since not everybody um, has access to lucid dreaming, uh, there's a there's a um, exercise that is very much very more easy. That's called the imagery rehearsal therapy. So imagery from um, visual imagery um, rehearsal because you practice it a lot of times and therapy. It's called therapy, but it's not a psychotherapy or anything. It's just an exercise. So um, I wouldn't call it therapy, but it's an exercise that you can do. Um, and it has three steps that are um, really easy. The first one is you write down a dream just with pen and paper. Write down a dream, um, very detailed. What happened and how did I feel and what was um, the scary part? And then in the second step, you change this story You think of what would this person in the dream need in order to deal with the situation. For example, um, if you write down in the first step that you are running away from from somebody that um, that's behind you and you are very um, you have a lot of fear, so you could change this in the second step to say, okay, now I get active. I decide myself to turn around and ask the person what's wrong. Um, And then you talk to this person and then you find a way to um, lose your fear. And this person is very nice and just wanted to ask for the way to the 
train station and then you get invited for coffee or something, some really positive emotions, then you have a good day and the sun is shining. Um, so you write, write down um, a nice story with the important part that you have done something active, like I looked for help or I turned around and talked to the person. And in the third step, you just have to take this um, new story and think about it for five minutes every day and think about how did the how did I in my in my dream, how did the dream self um, feel? How did I help myself? How relieved am I now? And then um, through this task, your brain has practiced to associate the, the negative emotions not with running away anymore, but with uh, looking for solutions and with the feeling of self-confidence, I can care for myself. So it's a bit like rewriting a story in a way. I was just thinking when we talk about that dreams might reveal something about issues we're currently struggling with, by actively changing the dreams, um, I had two thoughts. My first thought was, should we even want to change nightmares if they are able to show us something about what is going on? And my second thought was, well, when I'm able to handle those situations better in my dreams, I might also be able to handle them better in my wake life. So maybe we can talk about both points. Yeah. So the first one is you think um, that maybe if, if nightmares have, have a benefit also, then you shouldn't change them. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say yes for some people. Um, if you have a nightmare only very rarely, only a few times, um, then you can just use it. Um, but some people have nightmares really uh, many times a week or every night or really suffer from this. And that's the, the, the difference when you suffer from your nightmares and have the feeling that it keeps you from functioning normal and uh, keeps you from being relaxed. And that it's a big burden. In the worst case, you have fear to go back to sleep because the next horror story will wait for you. Um, then it's the point where you have where you should um, deal with it and change it. And what was your second question? <laughs> um, the second question, or the second thought rather, was that when we change our emotions and our dreams, that it might also influence how we handle situations in our wake life. So, for example, when I'm usually a very socially anxious person who tends to run away from social interactions and then in my dream I start to interact with people who I was running away from before, then it might also influence how I interact with people in my wake life. Is mm -hmm. there any kind of study or is there anything known about this connection that way around? Because then you could also influence via your dreams how you experience the world in your wake life. Yeah, you can learn from from what you have experienced in your dream and then decide according to that maybe decide what if you want to change your behavior or not but i don't know if it um if it automatically changes your behavior you you have to do it yourself i don't yeah. think that the dream will make it for you no because you also have to change the dream but then it could get just easier just that was just my oh i don't know yeah but the idea of the imagery rehearsal therapy is is not that the next time you're dreaming, um, you do something different, um, but it's more that the nightmares don't even occur anymore mm -hmm. because you have practiced in waking life positive imagery um, and then the negative um, nightmares don't don't arise anymore. But it also works like um, for dreams that change every night. So I do that like every day maybe then 
with the new dream but it, because like i'm thinking um if your fear if it's always the same like running away then i think like it would be more easy but what if like every night there is another type of of threat that i have to deal with it also works then because like yeah. you do that every day and then it's yeah. um like the, the situation always um gets recognized by yourself and then you are maybe better suited to handle handle it yes you would do this um this irt with one dream for ah. two weeks so take the same um dream that you have changed it to a new story and then for two weeks um every day five minutes go through this again um but it works for dreams that are different every night so if if a person has a nightmare every night but it's always a different scene um that's called idiopathic um nightmares for them it's working but it's also working from re for recurrent nightmares because some nightmares if a person has the, the same nightmare um again and again that's sometimes um post traumatic so sometimes refers to a trauma that a person lived through and hasn't dealt with yet and then it's um a typical sign for a post traumatic stress disorder i was just thinking we've been talking a bit about nightmares now but i wouldn't know how to explain a nightmare because it's super subjective right so my first thought would be a nightmare is a dream where you experience a lot of stressful and negative emotions yes but is there any broader or any other um component which you would also need or is it just the individual feeling after waking up or while dreaming yes uh, it's that the individual feeling and it's defined as uh, strong negative emotions in a dream it doesn't have to be fear so mostly it's fear but it can also be disgust or anger or sadness or yeah sometimes uh, just the feeling of being lonely or very sad um, can be so strong that you wake up really sad uh, maybe crying or if it's fearful maybe sweating and very um, bodily active and then it's just a personal take on it if it was a very bad feeling then it's a nightmare i also have this thing i don't think it's, i call it a nightmare but uh maybe if if you like really want something in your wake life and then you dream that you have it and then you wake up and i'm always then disappointed that i don't have it <laughs> that is it's also like a very negative component but while i dream it's like very positive but only the waking up part is is like this the one that brings the negative emotion there's something else mm -hmm. then right but maybe then you can think about um what can you do in waking life to get what you wanted in your dream <laughs> yeah sure <laughs> I wanted to ask uh, earlier because you, when you're describing like the one method for lucid dreaming where you uh, are awake for like half an hour, that only works because like the sleep is interrupted, right? Because you, um, before this interview, you told us that you were doing a study on uh, daytime naps. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was wondering if you sleep different at daytime or is it like, or like the, maybe how long you sleep or how fast you reach like certain phases is there is there any difference to um what time of the day one sleeps or is that just like a regular sleeping phase um depending on the length of the nap maybe if you nap for two hours or three then you get a full cycle of um sleep stage one which is you just sleep in 
and um, sleep stage two, where you have light sleep, and stage three, which is deep sleep with um, slow wave activity, and even REM sleep. Um, but if you sleep only for 20 minutes so, or 10, 15, 20 minutes, just do a power nap, then most of the people only reach um, light sleep, so stage two. But it's it's different. It depends on... I'm, I also had naps already where I know that I had just, just a short nap, but I had REM sleep. So sometimes when you don't sleep much during a night, and depending on which sleep phase was missing in the night, maybe when I woke up early at six because I have a kid that I have to get ready for school, then I wake up at six, and then I'm missing the morning hours with REM sleep. And then if I have a nap at the day, my body decides to get the REM sleep back. That's so fascinating because that also means that, to me that means would mean that when I'm not sleeping good, my body is still able to manage that on its own and I don't really have to take care of it as long as I listen to my body and take a nap when my body needs a nap. Mm -hmm. I was just thinking that this has a lot to do with own well-being also or with own well how good you are doing on your physical health mental health and all those typical all those issues um, when it comes to dreams well-being sleeping is there anything people should be aware of because I often hear when people want to go on a party that they catch up sleep before or that they kind of collect more sleep hours before to not be socially jet-lagged afterwards or do it the other way around. So is, there, is that something plausible or is it just people trying to buffer their own behavior in a way? You mean whether it's possible to, to catch up with, with sleep yeah, after a night? Sleep, like explicitly catch up with sleep. But also beforehand, like you sleep like very long on that day and then you know that the next night is going to be short, but you like... Slept more before. Yeah. I think it works to some point. Okay. It, it works better to sleep after. If you have a night with a, with very little sleep, then um, in the next night you get your 12 hours um, and then you're fine again. But the beforehand is not so efficient, um, but to a little part maybe. Because you need it afterwards. Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking it doesn't make sense because you like just because your consciousness knows that you should sleep more, you're unconscious and your brain doesn't know it should catch or collect more REM sleep phases. No way. That doesn't make sense now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like the way we talked about it when like it's very important for your brain to sort through like all the memories of a day, then yeah. you can't do that beforehand because you didn't have any memories from the day yet <laughs> you could create folders to put stuff into <laughs> to make it bigger but no <laughs> also we had a question that um, if like the research you're doing has influenced like your personal life I'm not sure like had you maybe lucid dreams before you started being interested in the field or did you like uh, I, did you become interested in the field and then afterwards like learned Do the dreaming yourself because that's something you read about. Is there any any effects and how how um, like what was that this interest like prior to your scientific interest, your personal mm -hmm. interest in the field, or is that maybe that that came afterwards? I think the scientific interest came came first, or I was personally interested, and and but not because I um I, it was not the case that I for example had lot, lots of nightmares or lucid dreams and then put that into my research. Um, 
but I found dreams interesting. I just found them more amusing, maybe, because I was wondering why did, why does my dream tell me these weird stories that are actually not true and that are um, that are there are things happening that I cannot think of in real life. And then so it's more creative than I am in in real life. Um, and I was thinking, why is the brain, um, what is the brain doing there? So it was personal interest, um, but not because of um, specific dreams. And then from the research, um, I tried to learn lucid dreams because I um, found lucid dreams interesting. And with reading about it and having a lot of attention on it, um, it worked to some point. So I'm not a regular lucid dreamer, but um, if I practice in a few weeks, then I will manage to have one in a in a, at a time. Yes. Yeah. And did it also change how well you remember your dreams, or were you always able to remember dreams? Because, as I've said in the beginning, I kind of had to learn to remember my dreams by actively focusing on them after waking up. Did you write them down, or how did you manage to remember? Um, when I woke up, I just took my phone and wrote down each keyword I could remember, and then yeah. after time, I woke up more frequently and could remember my dreams uh, longer yeah but at the beginning it was just that I wrote down terms like um stressed or um dog I once I had to note with just dog yeah and uh just there got, was something with the dog yeah something I don't know what <laughs> and yeah um so my question would be did your own dreaming and your experience of dreaming change since focusing more on the science part mm-hmm um, I, I think I have one dream report every morning um, or I have one memory of a dream every morning. I don't write it down. Um, if I write it down, then the whole thing gets more uh, more interesting because then I can look back at it also a, a week later or two weeks later. But I'm too lazy in the morning to take because it, wake, it would take a few minutes um, because I always have one story to tell. Um, and then it's gone if I don't write it down. So for For people who want to remember their dreams, you did exactly the right thing um, documenting it. You can do a voice message to yourself, but you can also just write it down on, on a paper. Um, and as soon as you do this and also just do, okay, there was something with the dog or there was something with the house, I don't remember, um, it will get more and will will get more detailed and more coherent stories. Um, yeah, and what I, what I learned... Um, after a time is um, to understand, okay, this is a thing. What I said earlier, I, I, I don't know if the, if the negative dreams that I have, if they have a function or, or not, but I can use them um, to tackle problems in real life. Um, and I have also a last question. Like, um, do you have maybe a fun fact about sleeping? Is there something that you discovered that... Uh, you really thought that like that's unexpected and kind of funny? Um, I think one thing that <laughs> one thing that's funny, it's not related to dreams, but to sleep in general. Um, I read recently that um, that hedgehogs who go to sleep in the winter sleep, is it called winter sleep, um, who sleep for a few months in the winter, um, that um, that they have to wake up for a short time in order to sleep. Because what they do with a long time is not even sleeping, but it's more um, down-regulating all the body functions. Um, 
but they need the sleep so much that they have to wake up to a certain degree to sleep and have REM sleep and all the different stages of sleep and then go back deeper to their winter sleep. <laughs> Is it only hedgehogs or also other animals who have winter sleep? I guess it uh, refers to all the okay, animals, yeah. but I don't know. Okay. That's a really fun fact. Um, and then we, or you mentioned that the um, research is mainly done in the neuroinformatics part of our institute, but um, we also like talked a lot about different topics. So what are the fields of cognitive science or that are traditionally considered fields of cognitive science that uh, really play into your research and you benefit it um, from when you learned about them in your bachelor's and master's? Mm -hmm. um, one is psychology, like how does how do emotions um, get reactivated, and how what is how does fear look like in the brain? Um, what is the sleeping brain doing? Um, what activity is there in terms of um, EEG? Maybe is there alpha waves or are there slow waves? Um, and also philosophically speaking, you can ask the questions: um, What is the dream self? Um, different from the waking self and who is dreaming is it me who is dreaming or is it my brain and all these um, questions that are highly philosophical I like them too and then you can also ask ethical questions like if somebody did something in the sleep while sleepwalking and then you can ask ethically okay was this person responsible for this action or not and then you can also come to ethics I think it's dreams is one of those topics which is kind of connected to everything where the human plays any role but yeah also other animals when we discuss if animals have dreams coming to the end of our conversation what should people remember when they have listened to this whole episode so what's kind of the most important take-home message or something you would like to give people mm. with when they stop listening here mm -hmm. i think um my take-home message could be that we don't know from research yet what dreams are for and if they have a biological function or not. But independently of the function, we can use our dreams to um, to think about how we feel um, and learn from them as perceptions and decide what we want to do out of this. Yeah. Okay, with that being said, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us, to being here today, to, well, diving into the whole emotion, nightmares and dream topic and for all those important and interesting information you provided. So thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me. When you enjoy listening to us, the best way to support us is by following us on your chosen podcast app. This could either be Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music or the website of a cognitive science student journal. Another good way to support us is by following our Instagram account, which is called kaleidoscience underscore pod. On our Instagram account, you will also get regular information on the next episode. Thanks a lot for supporting us. This was Kaleidoscience, hosted by Elisa Palmer and Sönke Löw. Produced by Elina Ohnesorge, Elisa Palmer, Sönke Löw and Sophie Kühn. Produced in collaboration with the Cognitive Science Student Journal. The music was produced by Jan-Luca Schröder. The logo was designed by Annika Richter. Thank you for listening and joining us on our journey through conversations on cognitive science.